Well, good morning, Gospel Community Church. I feel like you guys are awake today. That's good. Got a little bit rowdy there this morning, back over here somewhere. <laughs> Here's why I'm okay with that. Because I trust that we're not rowdy for emotion's sake, right? We don't get out of control, but like, man, we were sinners, right? Running away from God. And he stepped out of heaven and came and lived among us as we live. And he died for our sin and he rose and defeated our greatest problem. We have reason to get rowdy. Amen? Amen. For those of you who may not know me, my name is Ben Hurd. I'm the, the pastor here. And I feel like I haven't been up here for, for ages. Uh, it's been a couple weeks. Brad, thanks, brother, for bringing the word a couple weeks ago. Uh, thanks to my friend Doug who came last week. And I'm excited to be in a new book. We are starting the book of Acts. So open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 1. Have you ever heard of the game Bigger and Better? It's where you, you start out with a small item and you try to trade it around to get something bigger. Well, this I came across this story. It's actually an older story, but this guy had this idea, he, re he remembered uh, that, that game bigger and better. He thought, what can I get with a red paper clip? What can I get with a red paper clip? He was like, could I, could I, what, I mean, how big could I get from this? And so he posted it on Craigslist to see what, what would happen just with the red paper clip. And soon enough, a lady responded and said, hey, we have a fish pen that you could have. And so he upgrades to a fish pen. And... Puts the fish pen up and is like, well, what can I get better that's a, than a fish pen? And so somebody comes back and offers him this kind of weird uh, knob for a dresser. And he's like, okay, cool. I'll take that trade. I'll do this trade. And so he began to do this over and over again. And here's the things that he came up with. At, at one point, he had a snowmobile. <laughs> Paperclip to a snowmobile. He had a trip for two to the Rockies. Somebody traded it for a van. He had this working van uh, like, a, like you would move a house with. From there, he, he got a recording contract. Somebody said, hey, I'll offer you a recording contract in exchange for your van. I mean, and so people, you can imagine, like the, so many people have this dream to be this musician. He traded it for a recording contract. Somebody offered as well, he ended up with this year of free rent in a duplex. Paperclip to renting in this duplex. Not, it didn't stop there. From there, somebody offered an afternoon up with Alex Cooper. <laughs> if you don't know who that is, it's, it's probably good. You probably wouldn't want to spend an afternoon with him. But for a lot of people, that would be an exciting thing to have an afternoon with Alex Cooper. From there, he traded that for this Kiss snow globe. Uh, you know the band Kiss? I don't know the band Kiss. I didn't, I, maybe you know that, but I know it's a popular band. That's all I know. And, and he knew of this guy uh, who's, who had offered him something before that he knew he'd be interested in. He wanted what that guy had offered before. And so he brought this Kiss snow globe to this guy who had a massive collection of snow globes. He was a Hollywood producer. And in exchange for the snow globe, he got a paid speaking position in a Hollywood movie. And from this point, he came to his last trade, and he traded that Hollywood film role for this house. Go back to there. He started 
with a red paperclip and ended with a house. Is that not unbelievable? You know, it made me think of the book of Acts. You know, when, when Acts kicks off, it starts out, it's just after Jesus had rose from the grave. He had appeared to his disciples and he appeared to over 500 other men and women. And he told them, I got something great for you. You who are small in the world, in the world's eye, are going to become something amazing. And God took these simple men. In fact, in Acts 4.13, we see that these were unschooled, ordinary men. That's how they were described. They were like a red paper clip of no earthly value. And they were going to have a massive impact in the world. In fact, in a very real sense, we are here today because of the faithful proclamation of the gospel by these simple men. Isn't that amazing? On the other side of the world, 12 disciples were faithful to the word. And we have heard the gospel because of that. God can take ordinary men and women like you and me and make eternal impact in our world. And so look with me now at Acts chapter 1, verse 11. Or, I'm sorry, 1 verse through 11. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up. And a cloud took him out of their sight. While they were gazing into heaven and as, as, he, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee! Why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the book of Acts. Lord, the power of your spirit in the lives of ordinary men and women. What an amazing thing. Lord, it would be easy for us to think, well, that was different for them. We're, 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 just, we're just not there. But God, the same spirit that rose Jesus from the grave lives in us. And you have given us a mission to take the gospel to the end of the earth. Lord, would you make us faithful followers of you that would remember and live under the command to go and make disciples. 
God, that each and every believer here would take it upon themselves to share the truth, to share the good news. And so, God, with this morning, would you remind us of some foundational things when it comes to taking the gospel to the end of the earth? Would you motivate us? Would you help us to see that you have given us the power to have an eternal impact in somebody else's life? But, God, it's all for your glory. It's all because of your amazing work in us. And so, God, would you stir in our hearts, not only today, but through this series as we look at your spirit's work through the book of Acts. And this is Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. Let's talk about just a few kind of background things about the book of Acts to help us understand uh, what we're looking at when we look at this book. So, uh, first of all, it's, it's kind of a short title. Like, Acts is the short title of this book. It's, it's really about the Acts of the Apostles. That's what some people would know it by, the Acts of the Apostles. So, when you look at Acts, it's, it's Acts that took place through the lives of the Apostles. I, I, I would prefer this title, though. This is the Acts of the Holy Spirit through the Apostles, right? Like, this is what the Holy Spirit did through the apostles. This is what something they did on their own. This is what God did through his spirit, through ordinary, simple men. You know, the, the main, uh, the, the book follows basically mainly two main apostles. That's Peter and Paul. So as we go through that, you're going to see specifically those two guys mentioned a lot. There are 28 chapters, which means we're going to be in this book for a long time. Uh, it's going to be a couple years as we work through this book. Now, we also must understand, too, that uh, what kind of book, when, you, when you're approaching Scripture, uh, there, there's different kinds of genres. Uh, Colossians is more like a lot of theology in it, right? We talked a lot about what we should believe and then what do we do in light of what we believe. This, this, the book of Acts, is not so much a theological book, although we learn a lot of theology through it. It's a historical book. It's, it's ex- explaining what took place in history. And so that's important for us to understand as we look at this. Uh, we see there in, first, in verse 1, in the first book, O Theophilus. Uh, we've seen that name before. Anybody know where that name, where we saw that before? The book of Luke, right? In the, Luke opened up in the same way. Uh, for those of you who have been part of the last several years, you know that gospel, when we were part of Gospel City, we made our way through the book of Luke. And so Acts as well is written by the book of Luke. We don't really know much about Theophilus. Maybe he hired Luke to write, to, to kind of write this historical um, description of Jesus. We're not really sure. We don't know much about him. But when you get to verse 8, this is really the theme of the entire book. And we're going to hit it today. This is why we've entitled it To the End of the Earth. That's not only the title of today, but that's really the theme of all of the book. Look what Acts 1.8 says. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witness in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And that's what the whole focus of the book is. It's the acts of the apostles by the work of the Holy Spirit who take the gospel from Jerusalem into Judea and Samaria and ultimately to the end of the earth. And as our church, what's the mission of our church? Who knows the mission of our church? I hope somebody does. Glorify God by making disciples, right? Not just making disciples here, but making disciples everywhere. 
That's what we're called to do. That's the, what the call of the apostles was, and that's our call too. It's still true for us. We are called to go to the end of the earth. My prayer would be that maybe some of you would be called to missions, to where you are putting maybe your life in danger. Uh, there are people from Gospel City I know who are in countries where they could be killed for sharing their faith. My desire is that some of you may be called into missions. We are called to take the gospel to the end of the earth. That is our mission. And so as we look at our passage this morning specifically, there are some important factors that we need to understand in helping us advance the gospel. And so the first point is this. The first thing we need to understand is this. Jesus is who he says he was. Jesus is who he says he was. Look at verse 1 again. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up. After he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And so in the first book, he talked about Jesus' life before he died, took him through all the, like many of the things that he had done to the point of him dying and raising from the grave. Now, when you think about like all that the, his followers went through, I mean, can you imagine? Like they saw him arrested. They saw him beaten, humiliated, put on trial falsely. He was crucified on the cross and he died. And then his body was placed in a tomb. And at that point when he's in the tomb, there are a lot of questions, right, that probably went through the minds of these believers. Like, is Jesus real? Like, am I understanding the truth here? Like, I thought he was coming to establish his kingdom here on earth, and he died? What kind of God dies? What kind of leader would die in such a despicable way? All these questions had to go through the minds of the disciples. And what Luke is trying to communicate to Theophilus here is that Jesus is who he says he was. He is who he says he was because he didn't stay in the grave, did he? He rose from the grave. He defeated sin and death, therefore showing that he was who he says he was. But imagine, though, if, if no one had ever seen him after that. Imagine he's taken from the cross, he's put in the tomb, and he's never heard of again. Maybe even his body is, is, is disappeared, but he doesn't appear to them. Would you not have some serious doubts on whether or not Jesus was who he says he was? Wouldn't there leave plenty of room for us to doubt and for them to doubt whether or not Jesus was really God? And yet, we know that it's true because he appeared and walked on the earth. Can you, can you imagine the up and down of the disciples? I mean, he's, he's alive. We have our Savior. Wait, no, he's dead. Wait, he's alive. Like all those crazy swirling emotions are going through their mind. It was important that Jesus came back and showed himself because I don't know about you, but I would have been, 
I, I, you know, I, I don't think I could have kept following him if I would have never seen him. But the reality is we see in scriptures that he appeared to many people. He, it says he appeared to the, all the disciples and he appeared to over 500 brothers in 1 Corinthians 15, a passage that we looked at in Easter. Jesus really lived, Jesus really died, and Jesus really rose from the grave. That has huge implications for us because if that's true, then Jesus is God. Here's what we see in John 14, 6. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If Jesus has called us to go to the end of the earth, but he's not God, then who's going to the end of the earth? But if Jesus is God, then what he says is what we are called to do. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He says this, it says this in John 10.30 as well. Jesus said, I and the Father are one. It's the Trinity, right? We don't understand the mystery of the Trinity, but somehow there's only one God in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Jesus is who he says he was. Jesus claimed to be God. Jesus proved he was God. And that gives us hope. That gives us power. That gives us the ability and the motivation for us to go to the nations, to the end of the earth. Maybe some of you are doubting whether or not this is true. Maybe some of you are struggling in your faith. For, for Christians, I don't want you to be encouraged this morning that what Jesus says happened. And think about this too. If you were a follower of Jesus and your life was in danger and you had believed something to a certain, to a certain point, but then there were some things that happened that you're like, well, I don't think this is true at all. Like, would you make up Jesus coming back from the dead if it meant that your life was in danger? And yet, do you realize the disciples died brutal deaths? They were massacred for their faith in Jesus. John was the only one who, did, who, who wasn't martyred, but, you know, he got poured with, with hot oil. And he was, his whole flesh was burned and he was abandoned to an island. So I don't think I'd call that paradise while he was living on earth. These men gave up their lives because of Jesus, because they believed who he says he was. And so, are you questioning whether or not God is true this morning? The church historians do not doubt that there was a Jesus. So what are we going to do with him? Are you going to surrender your life to him? That would be my encouragement to you today. We'd love to talk to you. Elders would be up front. We'd love to spend some time chatting through this. But we all must face the reality on whether or not we believe Jesus is true. But if Jesus is true, he has given us a command to take the gospel to all the earth. Jesus is who he says he was. That leads us to a second observation, a second thing that we need to be aware of when it comes to taking the gospel to the end of the earth. Jesus left us so it would be better for us. Jesus left so it would be better for us. Look at verse 4. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, 
but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. You know, I always find this so intriguing that, that Jesus is about to leave them and he's about to ascend to heaven. Now, surely this isn't good news, right? This can't be good news. Wait, Jesus is dead. No, he's alive. Wait, you're leaving. What? What are we supposed to take of this? And yet, we look at John 16, 7, and it says this. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Now, let me ask you this. this it's so hard for us to comprehend that this is true. Are you telling me, like, Physical Jesus is not as good as spiritual Jesus, as the Holy Spirit? Like heaven, you just long for days, your roughest days, your hardest trials that you face. Haven't you just longed for Jesus just to be right there so you could just lay your head in his lap? Like don't you think? Like that's got to be better, right? Nothing could be better than having the presence of Jesus physically there. And yet Jesus is saying, man, it's better for you. It is better that I go away. Because here's the reality. Jesus, when he walked on this earth, could only be in one place at one time. And yet Jesus leaving, he sends his helper who can be with all believers at all times. Isn't that such a, an amazing thing? Like sometimes people get so tripped up thinking God doesn't have time for me. He's got a bunch of other stuff to worry about. Well, guess what? Jesus can be with you and with everybody else at the same time. Why? Because he's God. It should be great hope for us. It was better that Jesus left so that he could come to us. About 12 years ago, God moved our family to Illinois to be a part of a church. I was actually a youth pastor at a church, and, and God was just stirring in my heart and was longing for some things that weren't really a part of the church I was at. And so we moved to Illinois, and we ended up staying there for four years. And it, it was a tremendous opportunity of growth for us. We got connected with believers, and we were seeing things that we hadn't seen before. We were experiencing real community like we had never experienced before. And our hearts grew tight with the people of this church. But, but it, was, it was a hard four years. Uh, I worked a ton of hours. Uh, my wife became pretty much a single mom. If, if you, there's single moms here, dads, you know, like the, the stress and the pressure of all of that. And it just became too much for us to bear. And so ultimately, we ended up making the hard decision to move back to Indiana, where we're from. And there were lots of tears that were shed. And I thought, man, this is, I had such great dreams. I had a desire to be a part of this um, pastor training that took place, and that never, that never happened. And, and I wanted to keep walking with these people, and yet it was being taken away from me. And so really reluctantly, we moved back to Indiana where we became a part of Gospel City Church. But through an amazing work of God, it ended up being far better for us that we were die, to die to that in order to experience what we experienced at Gospel City and what we're experiencing here. Where I learned far more about ministry here than I would have if I would have stayed there. In fact, in many ways, I was having a lot of self-pity on myself there because of our circumstances that I couldn't see the fact that God would want to use me to serve others. And it ended up being far greater for me to leave than it would have been if I would have stayed. 
And that's the truth for Jesus. It was better for him to go so that he could send his spirit to be with us at all times. We could be tempted to think if only Jesus were with me, life would be easier. But we have the work of the spirit who brings conviction in our life, convicts us of sin. He comforts us in our trials and in our struggles. He reminds us of his promises and he guides us through all of life. That is far greater because he's with us every moment. Physical Jesus couldn't be with all the disciples at the same time. But him leaving allows him to do that through his spirit. Amen. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. The works that happened in sharing the gospel and, and God going before and opening hearts can happen for us too. It might look a little bit different. We'll talk about that as we work through Acts. There's some unique things about Acts as the church was beginning. But the spirit still moves through his people. It was important for Jesus to go. Jesus left us so it would be better for us. Look at verse 6. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. Here's the, here's the next thing that we see. God's ways are not always clear to us. God's ways are not always clear. We don't always understand. I don't know why he was taking me from Illinois, but it was for my good. We don't understand his ways all of the time. And these silly followers of Jesus were once again longing. Okay, okay, it wasn't before you died. The triumphal entry into Jerusalem, remember? They were like thinking, this is it. Like he is coming to reign. He's going to overthrow the Romans. And so surely he just rose from the grave. He just defeated death. Now it's time for his earthly reign. And Jesus is like, not yet. And it's not for you to know. It's not for you to understand that. God's ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. And for those of you who like to set a calendar, you like to to know what's going on and the order of things that are happening so that you can properly lay out a plan, God doesn't always work the way you want it to. And that's for our good. That is for our good. I mean, think about this. What if you found out that Christ was going to come back a year from now? So April 25th, 2022, Jesus was coming back. How, how would you feel? How would you live differently? Now, I think I know what a lot of the, the zealous spiritual people, well, I would go out and I would go to the ends of the earth and I would share the gospel everywhere. But I would bet there would be a lot of us who would be tempted to take that information and think, well, I kind of want to enjoy my time here on earth. I got a year. I'm going to take it easy. I've always wanted to go skydiving. Rock climbing. I 
There's tons of things I'd like to do to enjoy this earth before I go. And then when it gets closer, then I'll start getting serious about Jesus. I think that would be our temptation. This God's grace that doesn't tell us when he's coming back so that we are always prepared, always ready to give an answer, always living for him, always standing firm. That's why, that's why we say all throughout the New Testament is stand firm. Hold to the faith to the end. Don't give up. It's God's grace that he doesn't tell us when he's coming back. He doesn't tell us and make it clear to us so that we don't take advantage of it. Think about this. Your mom asked you to clean your room. Just think about this. Go back. Some of you have to go back a few years. <laughs> your mom tells you, hey, I want the house cleaned. I got to go run some errands. I want the house cleaned by the time I get back. Some of you are like, let's get the work done and so we can play. But there are a lot of us, if you're like me, and you're calculating, okay, she's got to go here. That's going to take about 20 minutes. She's got to go there. That's going to take about 30 minutes. She's got to go there. That's going to take another 30 minutes. So I think I got about an hour, and then I can start. And if it takes me 20 minutes, I should be good to go, right? Anybody else like that? <laughs> and so you, you go to the last minute. You're partying until it's time to get serious. And I'm afraid that's what would happen if we knew when Jesus was coming back. We wouldn't get serious until it was coming down to those final hours. But the reality is, none of us knows when we will take our last breath. And we don't know when our neighbors and our loved ones will take their last breath. And the time is now. We don't know if we won't make it out of the service. Hallelujah. How, how great would that be if we don't even make it home and Jesus comes back? We don't know that. It may be another thousand years. I know there are a lot of people who are trying to say Jesus is coming back soon. I sure hope so. It sure looks like it. But we don't know. All we know is that we will know when it's time. Right? We saw that in Luke. It will be like lightning in the sky. You know a storm's coming when the lightning is flashing above. We will know when Jesus comes back, but we won't know when he comes back. And so we keep pressing on. We keep looking for opportunities because we were put on this earth not to have jobs. Not to find a house to buy. Not to plant our feet and establish our kingdom here. This is not our home. And yet we get so sidetracked. He's not clear to us because he wants us to always be ready to go. Always ready to share the good news of Jesus. And if I'm honest, I, I get distracted all the time. They thought the kingdom was coming then. Many of us think the kingdom is coming soon. What if it's another 2,000 years? Let's get busy. Share the good news of Jesus. And here's the good news. Like this is a, a daunting task. You know, you think of the, 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 the violence in the world today and the animosity that we're starting to see rise towards Christians. Like the stakes are getting higher, aren't they? It's no longer cool to be Christian. And so we could be intimidated, but here's the good news. Look at verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Here is great hope for us. God's plan for us requires a power from outside of us. We can't do this on our own. We can't take the gospel to our neighbor. We can't take the not gospel across the world on our own. We 
we need a power that is from without us, outside of us. Now, here's the unique thing. We, we, we're so far removed from this time frame that it, it, it can be hard for us to understand. And so, you know, in verse 5, it talks about John baptized with water. You will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And there's a lot of trippy things when it comes to the Holy Spirit. Now, if I could just be honest, I don't fully understand the work of the Holy Spirit. I don't. I don't fully understand how the, the gifts and the tongues and all that work together. Here's what I do know. For us at salvation, we are given the Holy Spirit at the point of salvation, at the point of conversion. Let me just show you Ephesians 1.13. It says this, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. We were baptized with the Holy Spirit at our conversion. We received the Holy Spirit. There's not this extra stuff that happens that we get saved and then we're waiting for the Holy Spirit to come to us. This was the early church. God was establishing something new. When we are born into Christ's family, we receive the Holy Spirit then. We have the power then to serve the Lord. We have the power to share the gospel. It's been given to us through the Spirit. I mean, think about this. Think about these disciples of Christ. Not long before this, a month or two, whenever all of this took place, it was 40 days that Jesus made his appearance before he left. When he was crucified, where were the disciples? Were they standing up? This is wrong. This is our Jesus. This is our God. What did they do? They scattered. All of them abandoned them. What did Peter do in the garden? Or what did Peter do while he was watching the trials going on? He denied him three times. These aren't like these stellar type A run through the wall leaders. These aren't people that you're going to line up and decide, who. oh, man, you, you graduated from Harvard. You got it together, man. Like we're picking you. Jesus said, I can use whoever I want to. And he took these ordinary men who a month earlier denied him, scattered from him, ran from him. And now, look what they're going to do. Now, we know the end of the story because we have heard the gospel thousands of miles away from Jerusalem. These men, these ordinary men empowered by the Holy Spirit changed the course of history because of the Spirit, right? Because of the power outside of them. You don't need to be a super spiritual Christian in order for God to use you. God doesn't measure either success by fruitfulness. He measures success by your faithfulness. It's not about how many people you bring to Christ. It's how faithful you are in bringing the gospel and allow people to do what they're going to do, right? Remember, we plant, we water, but who brings the growth? Jesus. So don't go Sharing the gospel, expecting people to repent. They may not. We are just to go and be faithful. Deliver the message and God's spirit dwells within us. I think it begs us to ask the question, how do we know if I've been baptized in the spirit? I think that's a great question. Because if you are a believer in Christ, the spirit dwells in you. So how do we know if the spirit dwells in me? Turn to Galatians 5. So keep your finger here. We're not done. But go to Galatians 5. I want you to look there for, with me for a second. 
because I think this will help us understand what does it mean to, that I've been baptized? How do I know if I have the Holy Spirit? Well, I, Galatians 5, I think, is pretty clear here. Verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. So how do we know if we're living by the flesh? These kind of things in our life. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry. Have you ever desired something more than God? You're an idolater. We're all idolaters. Sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger. You ever lose your temper? Rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And so that's the characteristic of what a fleshly life lives apart from the spirit. Now, are we perfect in this? Can we check every box and say, nope, don't struggle with that. Never been jealous. Never been angry in my life. I only get revenge. Oh, then you're, you're angry. Uh, we're not going to master all of this. So it's not about being perfect in this, but we should be able to look at our lives and say, well, I'm less jealous than I used to be. <laughs> that situation that happened this week at work, I would have blown my lid two years ago, but wow, how did, God, how did I do that? It's the Holy Spirit. Now listen to what the fruit of the Spirit is. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And this is really a salvation check for us. If, if, we have, if we've been saved, we have the Spirit. If we have the Spirit, then these things will grow increasingly in our lives. These things will be increasingly true for us. Not perfectly, but we should be, see evidences of, I love people more. I have more joy in my life than I used to. I'm more patient. There's more peace. I have more self-control. Again, not perfect, but we're taking steps towards it. And so we have to ask ourselves, am I seeing this in my life? Are there evidences of the fruit of the Spirit being lived out in the way that I'm walking day to day? And for so many Christians, they are living this blind life. Maybe they're not even Christians. So many people who have claimed Jesus, they said a prayer, their mom or dad told them they were saved, and their life looks no different 30 years later than when they were five. Can I just tell you, if the Spirit is not working in you that way, the Spirit doesn't dwell in you. If the Spirit doesn't dwell in you, you are lost. So we should all be seeking the Lord. Lord, what's true of me? Do I see this power? Listen, there are times that I respond in ways that are gracious and loving, and I have no idea how. Because inside of my head, I'm like, I hurt you. I want to throw something at you. I want to put you. And then I see the spirit moving, right? I mean, that's a little bit exaggeration, but you get the point. We all have those moments, right, where we see God moving, and you're like, where did that come from? Have you ever said something that was so helpful to somebody, and you're like, I don't even remember what I said. <laughs> I have no idea what I said. It's the spirit that moves in us. God's plan for us requires a power from outside of us, and he gives it willingly to all who repent and place their faith in Christ. Have you done that? 
Is the evidence of the Spirit's work in your life visible? If not, you may have been living a lie. And we would love to talk you through that. But I want to encourage you, believers in Jesus, the Spirit dwells in you. You can do what God has called you to do because it's about him and it's not about you. And sometimes we just need to realize I'm going to walk in faith even though I'm scared and I have no idea what I'm doing because God does amazing things. I never would have planted a church in a million years if it wasn't for the Spirit's work in my life. God's plan for us requires a power from outside of us. It will end with this. Look at verse 9 of Acts. Turn back to Acts. Acts 1, we'll look at verse 9. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Here's the last thing. Jesus' life, death, and resurrection were just the beginning of his work. Jesus' life, death, and resurrection were just the beginning of his work. So imagine the disciples. He's alive. We have our Messiah. He's dead. Oh, wait, he's back to life. Oh, wait, now he's leaving us. And they're just sitting there, like, watching him go to heaven. Like, what now? What, what are we supposed to do now? Like, you can't do this life without you. You were supposed to reign. You're supposed to overthrow, make our life easier. And it was just the beginning of the work of Christ. No doubt the greatest act of Jesus was dying on the cross and being resurrected. No doubt the greatest thing. But the works didn't quit there. And the work is still there for us. And Man, the biggest wake-up call we need, the biggest wake-up call I need is to remember what we are all about. What God has called us to be all about. We are here to build whose kingdom? God's kingdom come, not my kingdom come. And the biggest challenge for all of us is to decide I'm going to lay my kingdom down. I'm going to realize that I'm not here just to make my family love life here on this earth. I'm not just here to provide for my family uh, physically I'm not just here to create memories with our family. We're here to take the gospel forward, to advance it, to help the advancement to the end of the earth. Are you in the game? Do you realize that that is your call? If you have laid down your life to Christ, he is calling you to go and share the gospel. Share it with the way you live your life. Use words. And remember, we're not measured by the fruitfulness of our life. We're measured by the faithfulness. By being faithful to deliver the message. I've shared the gospel many times. And many people have rejected it. But you know what? It might have been the seed to where the next person who comes along, God may choose to rescue them there. We don't know. We don't know who's going to come to Christ. We're just called to be faithful. So believer in Christ. Let me spur you on. Spur me on in this too. 
don't forget what you were called here to do. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this history that we get to see how the church began. Thank you that in it we see that the power does not lie within us. This is not pull up your bootstraps and do it yourself. This is not what you called us to do. You've called us to depend on you. And so, Lord, would you deepen our dependence in you? Would you help us to know and understand what it means to realize and live in light that we need the Holy Spirit to move through us. And Lord, I pray, I pray that if there are here, people here who have been living a lie, spreading a lie, saying they are saved but there is no fruit, Lord, would you grant them repentance this morning? Would you help them to cast aside any shame they may feel of people looking at them thinking, I thought you were saved because who cares? We don't know when you're coming. We, went, we might not make it home today. Before you come. Or you may choose to take us home before you come back. We don't know the time or the place. But God, I pray that you would spur in our hearts a love for the lost. God, that you would help us to stop making excuses for why we don't share the good news, Lord. And I confess my own heart in this. Sometimes I just rather go in the store and buy my stuff and get home. Than to just... Even see if there's an open door. Even pray. God, would you just even start with some of us just to pray for open doors. And I pray that you would open doors. God, we are called to take the gospel to the end of the earth. Let us be faithful in that calling. Let us be faithful. And we're not called to bring people to salvation. Rather, we're just called to be faithful, to call people to salvation and let you do the work. God, I pray that we would see our congregation grow. Not by... Not, not that I care about the church size, but I just want to see people who are walking in darkness step out of it into the light. God, would you move? Would you move in us? Would you pour your spirit out on us, Lord? Help us to live by the spirit and not by the desires of the flesh. And thank you for your grace, for your mercy to help us do that. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing this in response.